Good morning, and welcome to worship in the name of the Triune God. Grace and peace to you. We continue this week with our worship move to an online platform, and we have decided to extend our cancellation of Sunday services and church events through the end of March to help prevent the spread of illness. Life sure is different than it used to be, different to say the least, but friends, I'm here to remind you that we are still the church today. Ministry is going to look different as we find creative and thoughtful ways to navigate these times, but ministry will carry on. Our life as a community of faith will carry on, even if in different forms. So during these weeks away from our sanctuary, we are going to try to stay connected in worship through online resources. And please do continue to let us know what works and what doesn't and what would be helpful to you. And while I am sorry not to be with you in person for worship this morning, I am glad to be with you in spirit. As we continue together through this season of Lent, we return to our series on the characters of the cross, trying to see the cross through the eyes of the people who were there with Jesus. Having heard from Pontius Pilate, Simon Peter, and last week from Mary Magdalene, today we turn to the one who was there not only at the end, at the cross with Jesus, but who was with him from the beginning, his mother, Mary of Nazareth. I would offer to our listeners a word of advance notice that this may be one of the more difficult perspectives we hear during our series, the experience of a mother losing her child. To the many who know the pain of this uniquely agonizing loss, we surround you with our love. And though we do not find solace, we seek support in the knowledge that this loss, too, has been taken into the heart of God, whose heart breaks with all the Marys of this world. So with that, I now introduce to you Mary of Nazareth, the mother of Jesus. Mary of Nazareth, the mother of Jesus, who bore him into this world. A parent should never have to watch her child die, but I did. And like too many parents who lose their children to accidents, to illness, to the horrible violence of this world. I have known the pain of having my baby taken away from me. Be it unto me according to your word, I once said. And like that, he was with me. The spirit moved and I felt his tiny form stirring in my belly. My maker was being made inside of me. Strangers told me wondrous things about him that I've pondered every day in my heart for 30 years. And I remember as his little hand first touched my finger 
and his eyes grabbed my heart. I sang to him, my soul magnifies the Lord for you, little one. You will bring down the mighty and you will lift up the lowly. And he lifted me. I believed in nothing would be impossible with God, but I so desperately wished that this, this would be impossible because at the foot of the cross, I stand beside my baby and I watch his life drain away. I feel, I feel the drive of each nail and I bleed with him. I stand powerless to help. My mouth with no song to sing and my arms lose their strength. He cries, he cries out with a voice that sounds like thunder that God has forsaken him. I'm here, baby. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. As the spear is lifted, I feel it as it enters his side and it pierces my soul, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh from me you have been taken. As we turn to the reading of scripture, let us pray. Gracious God, pour out your spirit upon us as you once did upon Mary, so that your word might take flesh within our lives and bring healing and righteousness to your world. May it be to us according to your word, we pray. Amen. Our first reading comes from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, and continuing in chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, 
he is able to help those who are being tested. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. Something I've been thinking about a lot during this time of social distancing is what it means for us to be the church when we cannot be together. So much of what we do as the church is tied so closely with being physically present with one another. So much of what we are used to doing as the church has to do with sharing, sharing food at potluck dinners, sharing space and sharing air when we gather for worship and for fellowship, sharing Christ's peace through signs of love and reconciliation, sharing the bread and sharing the cup. I look forward to the day that we'll be able to come back together as we once did, and it strikes me that when we do, we will find deep meaning in all these ways of sharing that we may have taken for granted before. Think about that day when we'll be able to pass the peace again without fear, to hold somebody's hand in prayer, and how much it will mean to us just to be together in the same room again. Those acts of physically sharing in life with one another have always been great acts of the gospel. They were always signs of the truth that Jesus brings us together, that in following him, we have found new life in reconciled community. I'm sorry that it might take being apart for us to realize that. Beyond anything we ever did as a church, those acts of coming together and sharing life with one another were already good news. I suppose this is just another part of that life experience that we learn to appreciate the ordinary because the ordinary can so quickly be taken away. 
But here we are, and maybe as with so many things, we might be gaining newfound appreciation for what we had gotten used to and what we suddenly don't have. A month ago, we all wish we could have had an excuse to stay home for a few days, just some quiet days at home. We all want that until we have to do it, until we're not allowed to leave. I know a lot of us are feeling that. As I've been talking with folks about their experiences during this time, it strikes me that while we might not be able to share the common cup right now, we are sharing a common experience. We're all trying to find creative ways to keep ourselves engaged at home, keep ourselves from going stir-crazy. We're all taking stock of our pantries and our toilet paper. We're all concerned for our loved ones and for our neighbors. We're all wrestling with new information every single day. We're all navigating uncharted waters. And we're all trying to do the best we can. We might not be in the same room, but if there's one thing this whole situation is impressing upon me, it's that we're all in the same boat. When I went to the grocery store last week, I was bracing myself to see humanity at its worst. People fighting over the last loaves of bread and gallons of milk. People sprinting with their shopping carts down the aisles. I was expecting collisions, cursing, and yelling. I expected I'd see people antagonistic toward each other as they kept their distance, seeing each other as competition, as threats. Or maybe I thought we all would just ignore each other. I don't know what the future holds, and I don't know what's happening at your grocery store today, but I can tell you what I saw at my Kroger that day. I was there to get Kleenex. I saw the toilet paper completely cleared out, of course. And when I grabbed five boxes of tissues, I realized there was a sign hanging on the shelf requesting that for all paper products, customers limit their purchase to three per family. And I looked in my cart and I thought, I guess this is what the common good looks like. So I put two boxes back, and it really didn't feel like a sting or a loss. It felt like doing right by my neighbor. And I realized something about the people around me, too. We were all deflated, sure, concerned, absolutely. But as I looked in each face that was looking at me, I did not see antagonism. I saw understanding. I saw shared experience. From just a look or a nod, you see it. A simple exchange. Isn't this something, you ask? Yep, it's crazy. And suddenly, with a complete stranger, you realize you share so much. And for once in the last, I don't know, 15 years, the thing that comes to mind when I think about other people in our culture is not that we're so polarized and at each other's throats. It's that we're on the same team, facing the same world, that we're in the same boat. 
And just like I wish it didn't take a pandemic to remind me how meaningful it is for us to gather together in our sanctuary as the church, I wish it didn't take a crisis to remind us how much we have in common as human beings. It was hitting me the other day, I have to say I actually got a little lightheaded, when I realized that if I were to catch this virus, I would be catching something that started on the other side of the planet. But then I thought about what else that means. It means I share the same biology as that person around the world, a body just as vulnerable and a life just as full of memories, relationships, dreams, and fears. It's a scary thought, but suddenly I don't feel as alone in this world. The realities that make it possible for a virus to start on the other side of the planet and make its way here are the same realities we've always shared that make it possible for us to say we share a common humanity and a common world. It's common shared experience. And if we take nothing else from this season in our world's history, I hope we remember this. So that one day when we get down the road and this pandemic is behind us and we are tempted to go back to the same old routine, the same fights, the same old inability as a world to see our common home and work together for the common good, I, I hope we remember this, how much we share, how much grace we discover we have for each other when we realize how much we share. And so, yeah, being the church today already looks very different from the way it looked even two weeks ago, even two days ago. But we have not stopped being the church. We might not be able to share the peace of Christ together in our sanctuary or share the cup, but we are together in this shared experience. And being the church in every time and place, no matter what's been going on in the world, it has always been about finding grace in shared experience. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that because we, the children, share flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared the same things. When I look around and think about how much we share with one another, the same concerns, the same vulnerable bodies, I'm reminded of the good news of the Incarnation, that Jesus himself shared in all of this with us. Incarnation is one of those words we usually hear around Christmas time, when we celebrate God becoming flesh and that baby born in a manger. But that's not the end of the Incarnation. The good news of God with us, Emmanuel, is that he was with us through it all and through the worst of it. Incarnation is just as much the good news of Lent and Easter as it is the good news of Christmas. As the letter to the Hebrews puts it, Jesus became like his brothers and sisters in every respect, flesh and blood like us, suffering as we do, tested as we are, 
so that he is able to help those who are being tested. God shared the experience of human life with us so that we might approach the throne of grace with boldness and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the good news of the gospel. It's grace in shared experience. So, let's talk about the piercing center of that experience. Let's talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was the one, the favored one, blessed among women, through whom God chose to share our human experience. Much as Genesis tells us that Eve was made from Adam, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, Jesus was made from Mary. It was her flesh the word took when the spirit hovered over the waters of her belly and his little body took shape within her, cell by cell. And it was her flesh, bone of her bone, that she watched grow up before her, learning to walk, learning more each day, falling down and getting back up. The word of God, learning to speak words as a human being. And she watched him until that day she watched as he was lifted up. And she saw her own flesh, flesh of her flesh, pierced before her, piercing her very soul. His agony was her agony. And it's the agonizing shared experience of every parent watching the pain of their child. I can scarcely begin to imagine the experience of parents who have lost a child All I know is that when I became a parent, something new was born in me, a a new capacity for love and connection I didn't know I could have. From the parents I've talked to, that is a shared experience, a whole new level of connecting with another person from the center of our being. I don't think you have to be a parent to feel this. I just think it took becoming a parent to open it up for me. I think this is the shared experience of every person who has loved more deeply than they ever thought they could imagine. It's what happens when every wall we've spent a lifetime building around our hearts comes crumbling down and we find our souls flowing freely into another person to where we feel their joys as our own, their triumphs as our own, their dreams, their struggles, their pain. It's like incarnation. It's union. It's a shared life. And so because of all of that, when the person we love that way, that we love so much, is taken away from us, it feels like our hearts are pulled right out of our chests. What is there to say to Mary? to any parent losing a child? What is there to say in the face of unimaginable loss? Usually nothing. 
there's this great book out there that I would recommend to everyone, but especially those who know the shared experience of tragic loss. It's written by one of my professors from seminary, Kate Bowler. She taught me the history of Christianity in America, but the year after I graduated, she, at 35 years old, with a husband and a newborn son, was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. She wrote this book out of the harrowing experience of navigating those uncharted waters. The book is called, and I love this title, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. The chapters are great, but one of the great gifts of this book are these two appendices that have lists of things to say and not to say to people when they're going through the unimaginable. The first appendix is called, and I quote, absolutely never say this to people experiencing terrible times, a short list. Bowler's got things like, quote, everything happens for a reason, to which she writes, the only thing worse than saying this is pretending that you know the reason. And another one, it's going to get better, I promise. Of which she observes, well, fairy godmother, that's going to be a tough road to hoe when things go badly. I'm so grateful to her for that list. And there are more. But she's also got this second list of things. There are things to try saying instead. Like, quote, friend, that sounds so hard. And, quote, know that I'm on your team. But the one she ends with is perhaps the most important. Silence. She writes, the truth is, no one knows what to say. It's awkward. Pain is awkward. Tragedy is awkward. People's weird, suffering bodies are awkward. But take the advice of one man who wrote to me with his policy, show up and shut up. (laughs) What is there to say to the mother of Jesus? Standing there at the cross with Mary is the disciple whom Jesus loved. They are standing there together, and neither one is speaking. And when Jesus sees them facing this unimaginable loss, he attempts no words of comfort from the cross either. Instead, he calls them to support each other through the loss. Woman, here is your son, he says. And to the disciple, here is your mother. It's not about finding a silver lining in the loss or trying to diminish it in any way, but to find that even in the loss, we're in the same boat. The good news of the incarnation is that Jesus is with us in the shared experience of loss, of suffering, of all of it, and that we are all in it together, too.
for all who have known what Mary experienced. You are not alone. The words of Jesus to us from the cross are not inspiring. They don't make everything okay. They don't replace what has been taken away. Instead, he calls us to share the experience together and to find in that shared experience grace to help in time of need. Now, as much as, if not more than ever before, we are called to be the church. And now, just as we always have been, we are called to find creative ways of sharing this experience together, that through the sharing, we might continue to find grace in common. As you discover our common humanity through these times, remember that Jesus himself shared our common humanity. And as you look in the eyes of your loved ones, (laughs) with whom you may be sharing very close quarters, look for Christ in them. Look for the grace of your shared flesh and blood. And if you do have reason to go outside or to the grocery store, keep that safe social distance. But even from there, look in the eyes of your neighbor and look for Christ in them. Amen. In this spirit, I would invite us to pray using the blessing of St. Patrick, whose feast day we just celebrated this past week. Please pray with me and receive these words of blessing. May Christ be with us and before us, behind us and within us. Christ be beneath us and above us, on our right and on our left. Christ be in our rising and in our lying down. Christ be in the heart of everyone who thinks of us, in the mouth of everyone who speaks of us, in every eye that sees us, and every ear that hears us. May your salvation, O Lord, our Creator and Redeemer, be always ours this day and forevermore. Through Christ our Lord, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.